chapter 12. First Chronicles chapter 12. I did. Let's stand, and we're going to read the entirety of the chapter. Verse number one. Now these are they that came to David, that came to David to Ziklag, while he yet kept himself close because of Saul the son of Kish. And they were among the mighty men, helpers of the war. They were armed with bows and could use both right hand and the left in hurling stones and shooting arrows out of a bow, even of Saul's brethren of Benjamin. The chief was Ahiezer, then Joash, the sons of Shemiah the Gibeathite, and Jeziel, and Pelet, the sons of Asmabath, and Berechiah, and Jehu, and the Antithite, and Ismaiah the Gibeonite, a mighty man among the thirty, and over the thirty, and Jeremiah, and Jehaziel, and Johanan, and Josabad the Gedarethite, Eluzai, and Jeremoth, and Beliah, and Shemariah, and Shephatiah the Herophite, Elkanah, and Josiah, and Azareel, and Joazer, and Jashobim the Korhites, and Joela, and Zebediah, the sons of Jerome the, of Gedor, and of the Gadites, there were, they are separated themselves unto David into the hold to the wilderness, men of might and men of war fit for battle that could handle shield and buckler, whose faces were like the faces of lions and were as swift as rose upon the mountains. Ezer the first, Obadiah the second, Eliab the third, Mishmanah the fourth, Jeremiah the fifth, Atai the sixth, Eliel the seventh, Johanan the eighth, Elzabad the ninth, Jeremiah the tenth, Machbani the eleventh. These were of the sons of Gad, captains of the host. One of the least was over an hundred, and the greatest over a thousand. These are they that went over Jordan in the first month when it had overflown all his banks, and they put to flight all them of the valleys, both toward the east and toward the west. And there came of the children of Benjamin and Judah to the hold unto David. And David went out to meet them, and answered and said unto them, If ye become peacefully unto me to help me, mine heart shall be knit unto you. But if ye come to betray me to mine enemies, seeing there is no wrong in mine hands, the God of our fathers look thereon and rebuke it. Then the Spirit came upon Amasai, who was chief of the captains, and he said, Thine we are, David, and on thy side, thou son of Jesse, peace. Peace be unto thee, and peace be unto thine helpers, for God, thy God helpeth thee. Then David received them and made them captains of the band. And there fell some of Manasseh to David when he came with the Philistines against Saul to battle, but they helped them not, <clears throat> for the lords of the Philistines upon advisement sent him away, saying, He will fall to his master Saul to the jeopardy of our heads. And he went to Ziglag, there fell to him of Manasseh, Adna, and Jozebad, and Jediel, and Michael, and Jozebad, and Eliphu, and Zilthi, captains of the thousands that were at Manasseh. 
And they helped David against the band of the rovers, for they were all mighty men of valor and were captains in the host. For at that time, day by day, there came to David to help him until it was a great host, like the host of God. And these are the numbers of the bands that were ready armed to the war and came to David to Hebron to turn the kingdom of Saul to him, according to the word of the Lord. The children of Judah that bear shield and spear were 6,800, ready armed to the war. Of the children of Simeon, mighty men of valor for the war, 7,100. Of the children of Levi, 4,600. And Jehoiada was the leader of the Aaronites, and with him were 3,700. And Zadok, a young man mighty of valor, and of his father's house, 20 and two captains. <clears throat> and of the children of Benjamin, the kindred of Saul, 3,000. <clears throat> Excuse me. For hitherto the greatest part of them had kept the ward of the house of Saul. And of the children of Ephraim, 20,800 mighty men of valor, famous throughout the house of their fathers. And of the half-tribe of Manasseh, 18,000, which were expressed by name to come and make David king. And of the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, the heads of them were 200, and all their brethren were at their commandment. Of Zebulun, such as went forth to battle, expert in war, with all instruments of war, 50,000, which could keep rank. They were not of double heart. And of Naphtali, a thousand captains, and with them was shield and spear, thirty and seven thousand. And of the Danites, expert in war, twenty and eight thousand and six hundred. And of Asher, such as went forth to battle, expert in war, forty thousand. And on the other side of Jordan, of the Reubenites and the Gadites, and of the half-tribe of Manasseh, with all manner of instruments of war for the battle, and hundred and twenty thousand. All these men of war that could keep rank came with a perfect heart to Hebron to make David king over all Israel. And all the rest also of Israel were of one heart to make David king. And there they were with David three days, eating and drinking, for their brethren had prepared for them. Moreover, they that were nigh them, even unto Issachar and Zebulun and Naphtali, brought bread on asses and on camels and on mules and on oxen and meat, meal, cakes of figs, bunches of raisins, of wine and oil and oxen and sheep abundantly, for there was joy in Israel. And let's pray. Father, again, we are reminded that these are your holy words that a long time ago some holy man penned them at the instruction and the prompting and the superintendence of your Holy Spirit. Written to us for our instruction. And our prayer this evening then is that we would be instructed from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may of course be seated. <clears throat> Chapter 11 and 12 work together, we looked, of course, last week at chapter 11, <clears throat> to describe the process that God used in establishing David's kingdom. It is God's land, it is God's people, it is, in a very real sense, God's kingdom, and it is the king of God's choosing. And David is prominent in 
the entire book of 1 Chronicles. He is the main human figure. Even though he has been dead for a long time, centuries. When the people to whom this book was originally written got it into their hands. Both of these chapters, chapter 11 and 12, make much of both the quantity and the quality of the kind of men that constituted David's kingdom. When David began, when when he was on the run from Saul, and he had gone into the wilderness to, to save his life, he assembled a small band of men who were primarily characterized as outliers. They were discontent with something in the kingdom of Saul. They were indebted to somebody. It was hardly the stuff of which kingdoms are made. But when the time comes for David to become the king, he is attended by a competent, powerful host of men. What I wish to do this evening is turn our attention, first of all, to the way in which the chronicler gives us information. Again, if we were trying to deal with this in kind of a harmony sense, we would lay 2 Samuel down beside our account in 1 Chronicles and note the way the stories are told by their respective human authors. The material is arranged differently for it has different purposes and chronology is not at the heart of what the chronicler is trying to do. The pivotal verse I would propose to you in the chapter is verse number 23. Everything revolves around and hinges upon the fact that God had decreed that David would be the king and Saul would not. There is, of course, a way by which God will do this, and that constitutes much of the life of David, but there it is in a nutshell. We will come back to it. God had made a determination that David would be the king and Saul would not be the king, and so everything was directed towards that end. And so we have here the storyteller telling us, or actually the historian, I think maybe would be a better word, the historian mapping out for us this kind of sequence of events that is designed to paint a picture. We'll get to that in a moment. Verses 1 through 23. Okay, We're just going to kind of walk through the way the information is given. Verses 1 through 23. So the introduction or the beginning of the chapter right up to that pivotal moment is an account of those who had been servants or Citizens in the kingdom of Saul, servants active in the kingdom of Saul, who turned away from Saul and turned to David. There is a note then, right? There is a, there is a note then, for instance, verse number two, these are, were armed with bows, could use both the right and the left hand and hurling stones and shooting arrows out of a bow, even of Saul's brethren of Benjamin. Even fellow Benjamites. So what we have here is an, is an account, an explanation. God had made a determination that Saul could not be king, that David would be the king in his stead. 
And in conjunction with that, God moved the hearts of an entire segment of society to that end, to side with David and to turn away from Saul. Then you get to verse number 23. These are the numbers of the bands that were ready armed to the war came to David to Hebron to turn the kingdom of Saul to him according to the word of the Lord. Then the historian makes a point of telling you that David's support came from every single one of the tribes. That's verses 24 through 38. Right? I want to tell you that God made David the king. Okay, what do you want me to know about that? I want you to know that when God made David the king, he turned a, the hearts of many people to David so that David took the kingdom willingly. He, he, there's, there's a battle, and, and the, the civil war is mentioned, and you can really read about it in 2 Samuel, because not everybody from Saul's family went away quietly and peacefully, and not everybody turned their attention. That's, that's even mentioned in 1 Chronicles chapter 12. But David didn't take the kingdom by corruption. And he didn't steal the kingdom. And, and in fact, folks, that's, that's one of the very hearts of why David refused to do anything ever to injure Saul. I'm not killing Saul. Saul's the king. If God wants Saul dead, God can kill him. But I'm not going to kill him. That was the position that David always took. That was a virtuous position. And so David becomes the king. And then, again, in verses 24 through 38, you have this pointed out, that he had the support of every tribe to be king. This is very important to the man that God is using to write chronicles. It is important to God to know that David's kingdom had the support of all of the tribes of Israel. Not every individual Israelite. But David had what we would call widespread support. And so the tribes are mentioned deliberately. Judah and Simeon and Levi and Benjamin and Ephraim and Manasseh and Iskar and Zebulun and Naphtali, Dan, Asher and Reuben, Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. All the tribes are there. Every, there. There are no rebels. There are no pockets of organized resistance. There is uniform widespread support for David to be the king. So the story is told by talking about the men, no slight to the women, but the men, the warriors, the political leaders, the priests, the Levites, who would join ranks with David, and they came from all of the tribes. And then the story is also told, is given through certain geographical highlights. And I think these highlights matter, folks, not for the not for the necessarily the geographical significance, but because these geographical points represent difficult times in the life of David. They are, they are served to remind us, for instance, in chapter 12 and verse number 1, now these are they that came to David to Ziklag. And when we hear Ziklag, we're not thinking about a religious center. We're not really thinking about an economic center. We're not thinking about a place of tremendous strategic value. But let me ask you, if you would, to turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 27.
These are the men who came to, Zik, to David to Ziklag when he was about as low as he could get. It wasn't his lowest point, but it is one of his lowest points. 1 Samuel 27.1, And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel, so shall I escape out of his hand. And David arose and passed over with the six hundred men that were with him unto Achish, the king of Moab, king of Gath, and David dwelt in Achash with Gath, he and his men, and every man with his household, even David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's wife. And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath, and he sought no more again for him. And David said unto Achish, If I have now found grace in thine eyes, let them give me a place in the country, that I may dwell there. For why should thy servant dwell with the royals in the royal city with thee? Then Achash gave him Ziklag that day. Wherefore Ziklag pertaineth unto the kings of Judah unto this day. And the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. So the significance I would suggest to you of Ziklag is this. Right? This is a city that David gets when he, is, he has been designated the king. But the kingdom is far for certain. And yet he has testimony and support. We see similar ideas in verse number 8. And of the, of, I'm sorry, not of 1 Samuel, but back to 1 Chronicles chapter 12. We'll come back to 1 Samuel if you want to try and hold your place there. 1 Chronicles chapter 12 verse 8 and verse number 16. And of the Gadites there separated themselves unto David into the hold, to the wilderness, men of might and men of war fit for the battle that could handle shield and buckler, whose faces were like the faces of lions and were as swift as the rose upon the mountains. And verse number 16, And there came of the children of Benjamin and Judah to the hold unto David. The word hold is in chapter 11 and verse number 7 translated castle. The idea is fortress, not size. Right? Not some... Buckingham Palace kind of place, but a fortified place, a place where David felt safe from attack. This is one of the very first of David's low points as he spends so much of his young life trying to avoid Saul murdering him. 1 Samuel chapter 23 and verse number 14 and David abode in the wilderness in strongholds. There's the word. David abode in the wilderness in strongholds. And remained in a mountain in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day. But God delivered him not into his hand. And David saw that Saul was come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a wood. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose. And went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. So there are some geographical points. Another one is found in verse number 23 and verse number 38. And, and this is Hebron. And Hebron is, of course, the very first site that David establishes his headquarters. And he remains king there for seven years before he does ultimately become the king of all Israel. 
It's a city about 20 miles south of Jerusalem. So verse number 23, these are the numbers of the hands that were ready armed to David and came to David to Hebron. So in a variety of times and in a variety of places in these cities, people came to David and pledged to him their allegiance and their support. This is part of the process. Right, so as we come to it, because there, we are reading it historically as the, the Jews read it historically. Right? We are reading the account of all the things that went into God making David the king. We have some idea of the extent of David's kingdom. He is a king over all Israel. Of the caliber of the people who are involved with him. Again, this is, this is not, folks, some fly-by-night, cobbled-together assembly of losers who figure they have nothing to lose by identifying with David. But these are men who are substantial men in their own right. They are heroic warriors, men of influence, godly men, men with positions and prestige. Which brings me then to the second part of the message. What, what is the message? What, what are we supposed to do and understand from this? It is not simply a history lesson. And I think that if we could put it into a nutshell, if I could just encapsulate it into one sentence, it is simply this, easy enough for all of us to decipher. It is that God's will for his king will be accomplished. God's will for his king will be accomplished. And again, I think that's easy enough to see on the basis of what I would again argue is the apex of the chapter, verse number 23. These are the numbers of the bands who were ready armed to the war, came to David to Hebron to turn the kingdom of Saul to him. According to the word of the Lord. Not because David wanted it so much as because God wanted it. So for all of that, folks, it, it isn't simply the fact that David had a bigger army or a better army or more nukes or better weapons, or better tactics, or more money, or a larger population, or better control of the geography. David is the king because God wants him to be the king. And there is recognition, I think, of that at the end of the chapter in verses 38 through 40. These verses are not found in the Samuel account of David's ascension. All these men of war that could keep rank came with a perfect heart to Hebron to make David king over all Israel. And all the rest also of Israel were of one heart to make David king unity. And they were there with David three days, eating and drinking, for their brethren had prepared for them. And then in verse number 40, you have some idea of the preparations that are made. It is a gigantic banquet and feast. And everybody was happy because God had wanted David to be the king and finally at long last David is the king. I think there is, folks, is there not here just a little bit of foreshadowing of the ministry of the larger Christ 
and what will ultimately happen? It is very much our heart's desire that God wants something, right? We're commanded to pray, your will be done. And then if we're not careful, our immediate assumption is that since God wants it done, it will be done, number one, very quickly, number two, very effortlessly, and number three, without any peril or danger attached to it. But the reality of God's will being done very much looks like David becoming the king. A lot of times of wondering if it's really going to happen. A lot of doubt along the way. A lot of second guessing. One of these days Saul is really going to kill me. He's really going to get his way and I'm going to be a dead man. A lot of conflict, a lot of tension, a lot of heart searching, a lot of agonizing, a lot of effort. And then God's will is done. Not necessarily the preferred pathway, but almost always the pathway that God has. You know, one of the things, folks, and and, and, you know, I, I don't know how much to make of this, but I think that we should have it tucked away in our memories If we were Jews, and of course we are not, and we were reading the Hebrew Bible, which of course we are not, 1 and 2 Chronicles are the very end of our Bible. In in the English world, in the Western world, the arrangement of the Bible of Chronicles is to put it right there with kings so that they almost read the sequels, which they are not. But if we were reading it as Jews, we would read through 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles and we would come to the end of the Hebrew Bible really in very much along the same sentiment that the book of Revelation ends. The the book of 2 Chronicles ends with this expression, let him come up with his invitation to come back to Jerusalem. Let him come up. And Revelation ends with the inclusion of an invitation, let him that is a thirst come. That God has invited his people to come where he is and be with him. So the, the message, I think, for us is along the same lines. Right? We are not Jews, we are not going to Jerusalem, we are not trying to establish a capital there. But the pattern and the progression is the same, right? The New Testament tells us that we shall through much tribulation enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said to the disciples, be of good cheer, little children. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Well, then let's just hand it over and get the good times rolling. But again, it just doesn't work like that. And that brings me then finally to this. What, what is... Is, is, there a, is there a timeless lesson for us in this? And, and I would suggest to you that it is this. Right, that, <clears throat> that there is a choice to be made and one should make it and commit to it. There is a choice to be made and one should make it and commit to it. <clears throat> Chapter 12, 1 Chronicles 1 and 2, chapter 12, verse 8, chapter 12, 16 through 18. These these people made a choice. They could have remained with Saul. 
They could have, they, 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 they were confronted with the necessity of deciding. Do we side with Saul? Do we side with David? <clears throat> Moses told the people that they must choose. Joshua told the people that they must choose. Elijah told the people that they had to choose. Jesus told people that they had to choose. You cannot serve God and mammon. You have to choose. There's a choice to be made. And that the expectation then is that we will serve the side we choose. Choose a side and serve your side. And that emerges, chapter 12, verse 2, armed men. I mean, these are, these, this is a story told, in, right? We, we had, God told us a story this morning in the book of Ruth from a marriage perspective and a family perspective, and here is a story God tells us from a military perspective. Chapter 12, verse 2, verse 8, verse 15, verse 21, verse 23, verse 38. What is highlighted? Military prowess. Not only the ability to fight, but the experience in fighting. Not just soldiers who carried weapons, but soldiers who used them. Now again, folks, we are not those, okay? Don't, don't take this to a place I'm not trying to go. This is not a get your gun and take away the government message. We are not that kind of soldier. But there is labor that we are supposed to do for the side that we serve. We are supposed to be people who pray and work and sing and give. We pursue God's agenda. This is at least what we are supposed to do. There is a side to serve. Choose the side and serve it. And as Amasai said to David, we should say to Jesus, Thine we are, Lord, and on thy side. David said, Whose side are you on? We're on your side, David and we will serve you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ and all that he has done and continues to do for us at this very moment. May our choice be clear. May we serve the side we choose. In Jesus' name, amen.